Welcome to The Power of Data, the podcast by Dun & Bradstreet. Data is everywhere, and there is more created every second of every day. Join us to hear from leaders unlocking the value of data. Welcome to The Power of Data podcast. I'm Gary Kodovitz, Chief Data Analytics Officer at Dun & Bradstreet. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Wendy Batchelder, Chief Data Officer at VMware. Welcome, Wendy, and how are you today? I'm doing great. It's quarter end. Everyone's working really hard and it's been a great year. I think we've all learned a lot through the last kind of a year and a half with the pandemic. So I feel like we're all kind of hitting our groove. So I can't complain. Definitely been an interesting couple of years, I would say, although it feels like it's been much longer. But yeah, a lot of great lessons learned and a lot of those lessons are really good and reusable and kind of driving, I think, our future in, in this space. So Glad that we have a chance to chat. And, you know, you've had a very impressive career, having spent over 15 years in leadership roles, a variety of different global companies. And I'd love to just start off with, you know, hearing from you a bit more about your background, how you got to where you got today, and what your role is at VMware specifically. Sure. No, I'm happy to share that. I really started out thinking I was going to be an accountant, which is not too far away from being in the data space, but you know, it may date me a little bit. But back when I was in school, the role of a chief data officer didn't exist. It, you know, it wasn't a role. Companies didn't have that kind of a capability. And so a lot of the similar roles were either like computer science or accounting or statistics. And that's where a lot of folks that are maybe of my era (laughs) kind of grew up. And uh, mine was accounting. And my father really encouraged me to take a technology class in college. And I was really not interested in pursuing that because it was not a environment where there were a lot of people that looked like me. There were not a lot of women in computer science classes or in technology classes. And he's really inspirational to me and just really encouraging me. Like, I believe in you. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, what you look like or how you came into this world. But I believe that this would be something that you would be very good at and also enjoy. And I really kind of fought him on that, <laughs> but eventually agreed to take a sequel class. Walked in the first day and sure enough, I was the only female in the class. And it was really tough. It's a tough environment. But um, a lot of great mentors along the way and really did enjoy it. You know, I felt the satisfaction of getting a program to run or a query to work or data to join to be very similar to getting a set of books to balance or a spreadsheet to work and just continue to take classes and explore that area and found that, you know, there was this really great blend of accounting and information technology that was this whole discipline of IT audit. And so I spent 10 years in progressive IT audit roles in the big four accounting firms, as well as in industry, which led me to Wells Fargo. And during my time at Wells Fargo, I had a really great experience just being exposed to, you know, one of the largest financial institutions in the world and learning a lot more about not just systems and data, but at such scale and the importance of really managing data well to get the insights that you need to run your business. And I found that to be really fascinating and had a lot of great opportunities to move into different data roles. And I learned a lot, certainly had my share of successes and failures, I think as we all do. I had a really great experience there. And then about three years ago, I was offered the opportunity to come to VMware and really double down in the tech space. So to be in the data space at a tech firm was very different than being in the data space at a financial institution. And it's been tremendous because I've been able to work in a wider variety of areas and really expand my remit to be broader than data management, but also include insights and data science. And one unique part of my role is I'm also responsible for our 
robotic process automation team and our business process management team. And those two functions combined with the power of you know, data and analytics, whether it's lineage or machine learning or AI has been just fascinating and something that, you know, I certainly learned something new from my team every day. And we're trying to apply those techniques in new and different ways. So it is a little bit unique as far as what my role entails, but it's been quite a journey and one that I feel very fortunate to be on. And it's quite amazing. Yeah, I think everything you just talked about, you kind of relate to and, you know, just talking to colleagues and people in similar roles across the industry there's not one that has the same path, right? Everyone's path is different. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, to your point, the role is new. And so people just kind of evolve into that role, either organically as part of the company evolution or inorganically when you're sort of being from one organization to another. It's quite an amazing journey. And in terms of being the only woman in the space and in terms of tech, I mean, I I feel like that's also kind of gone a long way since then. And yes. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I feel like there's been a much more concerted effort, yep. you know, and I think we're all kind of part of that effort to try to push that. So I'm, I'm curious, I'll jump kind of almost to that question next sure. <laughs> in terms of, you know, your view of diversity and inclusion and the kind of efforts you're putting in and the kind of efforts you would give others advice on in terms of what they should be doing more of to encourage more of DNI particularly in our space? Yeah, I think it's a really valid point. I mean, we have come a really long way. I would say even, I mean, to this day, there are times where I am the only female in the room. You know, that's not as alarming to me anymore because I mean, on one hand, I'm more used to that experience. But on the other hand, there is a lot of change in that space. I mean, it definitely see that more and more we have more balanced representation. I think we are all a little bit more conscious of biases and aware that building an environment where everyone feels like they belong is building an environment where people feel psychologically safe which means they're willing to raise their hand, they're willing to speak up, they're willing to offer ideas. And that creates a culture where everybody can be successful, they can feel comfortable bringing their whole self to work. And we have the best innovation because everybody feels open that they can bring their ideas to bear. And I think that is really, really important in any innovation area, which I would argue is should be all companies, <laughs> but also just making sure that we continue to enforce that, continue to assess ourselves, assess our companies, and continue to do better than we did yesterday. And that's, I think, the responsibility and honestly, the honor of every leader is to you know continue to create environments where people feel good about what they're doing and who they are, because I think that's where the magic happens. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think creating those opportunities where you allow for the individuals and their team to showcase themselves and creating, you know, an environment where everybody feels like they don't have to go through three different management layers to be able to speak and, you know, providing the audience, whether it's with your CEO or with other kind of senior management, I think is also very important and key in terms of encouraging that diversity. I agree. I had a really amazing entrance into VMware in one of the first meetings I was in, it was, you know, a lot of very senior people. And there was a like a lead business analyst was leading the conversation who was six, seven, eight levels down in the hierarchy below the person that they were presenting to. And there are a lot of institutions where that would never happen. Right. You know, you would have that person informing their manager, inform their manager, inform their manager, you know. And it doesn't allow for the person closest to the problem to really be explaining the issue at hand or offering the solution. And it aligned very deeply with my personal beliefs and that we're all people, right? It doesn't matter what title we have or how we come to the table. It's more about how are we all coming together to solve a solution or create something new and exciting. And 
I saw that in action very early in my time at the company, which was really, really affirmative to the culture that I was excited about joining. Absolutely. Agreed. I guess it just to kind of pivot a little bit in terms of the role within the organization and to the points that we just talked about, I think every CDO has a slightly different remit or maybe not that slightly different remit within the company, depending on the goals and the mission of the organization. And also the fact that I think in many instances, the role is sort of newish to what we just talked about. You know, a lot of these goals are just being formed at the point when the CDO comes in and then allow the CDO themselves to be forming those goals and that mission statement. So in sort of your experience and what you're doing today, I'd just love to hear kind of what your remit is and what are some of the things that you're mainly responsible for. And then like, how do you kind of see or realize the ROI, so to speak, right? And how do you guys measure your KPIs and what are the sort of actionable insights that are being produced as a result of the work that you're doing? That's a multi-layered question. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So we'll start with the remit. So my responsibility is really interesting. So while I'm the, the first CDO at VMware by title, I am not the first person to sit in this seat. And there were others that helped form this team and the remit along with it on the journey that VMware has been on. But with each new leader that's come in, the scope has grown a little bit. And so where we stand today is the team is responsible for I would say all of the basics, the things that you would expect, governance, metadata, data quality, data architecture, master data, you know, the real data management pieces. Um, we also are responsible for data policy and enforcement and those sorts of things. Beyond that, we also have the analytics function that sits within the what we call our enterprise data and analytics group. And that involves, you know, a team of everything from data engineering to Um, your, you know, run-of-the-mill business intelligence folks or some data scientists. We also have a data science COE that provides various more advanced modeling and support for the company and also does a lot of machine learning and AI techniques and applying those in different ways, some of which is to improve our products. So we recently just did a project on our security product to help make it faster, better, stronger, which was really fun. The place that we're a little bit unique, I think, compared to other CDOs that, you know, certainly I've spoken with or had the pleasure of learning from is we also have the responsibility for our robotic process automation function. We have a center of excellence that is a part of our team, as well as our business process management team. And so that allows us to really look at opportunities to improve our processes, make them stronger, automate them with care and diligence, but also combine those functions in new and unique ways alongside our data science capabilities, alongside our technical lineage um, capabilities. And so we're able to look at processes, problems, really top down and through multiple layers of the environment, whether that's a process, a data flow, a system movement, you know, across some sort of automation capability. And that is really, really unique. So that is, I think, really special and something that my team really enjoys. Now, we also have sort of like your standard office of the CDO type function where we capture things like M&A integration and transformation, product management, those sorts of things. And we also help our product team who is developing some, you know, new and interesting data analytics platforms and providing them with support more on a consultative basis. So there's a lot, a lot there. When it comes to our objectives and some of the things that we're really focused on, we've been really, really focused in the last 12 months on getting our data foundation right. 
that's an area where we had not historically had a lot of investment and needed a lot of work to just kind of really get solid. I would say our analytics and data science friends have succeeded in the past in spite of some of data foundation problems. And so really cleaning up that environment, making it easier to access, have higher quality data that's more ready available for them to do the cool and data sciencey things that they know best. And so just really empowering the company in a new and different way. That's been really a priority for us, along with curating a set of analytical insights, as well as key metrics by which we will measure our company's success in the future as we're transforming the business into really being more SaaS-friendly and more SaaS-pure. And so that's been a really a big area of focus. The last part of your question was around metrics and how do we measure ourselves? You know, it's a really interesting question, especially for the data space, because I think, ironically, a lot of data folks struggle to measure their success yes. in data. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting, but what we've done and we have various stages of maturity across our organization is we really look at upfront, what is success? You know, how do we define that? What metrics really matter? Is that time savings? Is it revenue growth? Is it something like, you know, we're trying to make a process faster? Maybe it's all of the above. But what are the tangible things that we expect to happen and documenting that up front? And then as we deliver, are we making progress against that? Is it making sense? Kind of continuing to check in. We use like an OKR type framework as how we measure our, our team's progress. We report on that on like a biweekly basis. We try to make it really transparent. That's available like in our company reporting portal. So, you know, anyone who's interested can go see how we're doing. We moved to that model about seven or eight months ago, and it's been really helpful just to keep us all on track. Just that exercise of, kind of nailing the data people to the data. It's not as natural as one would think, but it is important. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) It's especially, you know, as you sort of try to kind of think about where the firm is going and, you know, whether it's focused on kind of, you know, growth or retention or quality improvements or, you know, and, and trying to sort of understand those key KPIs of the firm and trying to align yourself to those KPIs. And I think it's also important, not just to the outside world, but to kind of keep the morale and get people excited about coming into the office every day to kind of show them the impact they're making on the company. Yeah, right. And a good example of that, I think, is consumption. So, you know, I care a lot about not just what do our customers buy from us, but what are they using? Are they getting the value out of it that they expect? And so as we're looking at like, what is a customer actually consumed from us? It's a very important goal because it tells us, you know, are we helping them to succeed? Are we helping them to win? And, you know, we're very invested in helping our customers to win. That's important. So, you know, we've really looked at, okay, to empower that, what kinds of information do we need? How do we measure consumption? What does good look like? So from a data perspective, really thinking about like, what data do we need to measure that? What's the definition? So that pulls in like governance and metadata and data quality. Can we rely on it? Is there missing pieces? Do we need to model parts of it? When can we do these things? What's the roadmap look like? That does matter very deeply. And I think being able to connect the work we do to the company's mission and making sure that people understand how they connect to that is so important. And I think so important right now, especially with the way that the workforce is shifting and people are you know, looking for new and different things from their employer. It's important to connect those dots for our team and remember to say thank you, right? This is, this is exactly. hard. We're working in a hard environment. And so just making sure that we're connecting the dots for them, helping them feel good and um, and proud of the work that they do every day. The challenges are very similar, <laughs> I think, across the board. So we're kind of moving in slightly different directions, but I'm curious, like, so you guys recently hosted an event called VMworld 
And what are some of the key highlights from the event? And are there any sort of developments or trends that which you found particularly exciting? That's a, quite a question. <laughs> so VMworld, for anyone who might not realize, is VMware's Hallmark event every year. It's like our big thing where we showcase all of our new advancements. We talk about company strategy and where we're going. We had a really great analyst event where we shared, you know, how are we doing financially and how, you know, what are our projections for the future? And so at least my personal highlights from the event were we had some really amazing stories of success with customers. I mean, there were, I think, hundreds of events that you could attend that were showcasing what we had done together. And I think that together is the important part here, right? This is not something that's just about VMware, what we do independently, but what we do to help our customers succeed. And so... I loved hearing those success stories. I could watch them all day, every day. It's just really motivating. So I would say the highlights to me are hearing about how we've helped people succeed. But there are some really exciting developments, I would say, around our product portfolio and really how VMware's, uh, I think the evolution of the company is really positioning us to be the multi-cloud provider for companies. I think we see that and you know, I know DB is no different, right? And probably most of the folks listening yeah. to this podcast, not many people are in one cloud or another, right? Most people are in multiple clouds or trying to navigate data across clouds and secure it, make their development and their experiences for all of their personas easier, faster, better. And VMware is uniquely positioned to provide that. And if you were to go back and only could listen to one session, I think listening to the session about our future strategy and where we're headed. There were some great highlights from our CEO, Raghu, and our CFO, Zane Rowe. I think those are very exciting to hear about, you know, really the value proposition of what VMware can do to help customers into the future is very exciting. And when it comes to data, one, like my team had to provide a lot of the information to make the event possible. We work very closely with our chief marketing officer, Carol Carpenter, who is a phenomenal leader and a big supporter of leveraging data for the power that it has. So that was really exciting for our team to be able to be a part of that. But VMware is also working on some really, I think, unique and innovative products around analytics and how we can provide an analytic ecosystem. There was a couple of announcements recently around a program or a product called Taurus that I'm personally excited about. We've been working with that team a great deal and making that product the very best it can. And that's certainly exciting. But I think most of us data folks find things like that exciting. I don't know about the grander <laughs> population, yes. but it's been great. That's great. What are, you know, as you talk about the trends in the general market, what are you seeing or hearing from customers? It's interesting because you guys did some stuff on like kind of edge computing. And again, you know, it's like every period of time, right? There's some new trend or new shift and I think this is also interesting to kind of see and hear as you're seeing kind of the regulatory shifts happening with data privacy and data movement, whether it's a country by country or at least in our cases, it's state by state even. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot kind of happening, right? So I'm just sort of curious what your thoughts are around that and, and also specifically how you think about sort of edge computing and how that could relate to some of these challenges. Yeah, I think that our job is actually going to get much harder. I mean, I know probably everybody just took a like a collective sigh. <laughs> it's already pretty hard and challenging, but I do think it's going to get harder in that data continues to be created at just an almost unquantifiable rate, right? We're collecting data in all these different devices everywhere. I mean, there's really an unlimited amount of data. 
And I think being able to govern, understand, and harness data where it is generated, meaning more at the edge, is going to become more important. Like I think gone are the days where you pulled all your data into one neat little nice organized database and then you queried from there, right? Those days are long over. And so I think that it's going to put a lot of pressure on things like data governance, metadata, data quality. I see a lot more technology being built more with API calls instead of actual movement of data. And I think that's going to continue. How do you keep data where it is? It's expensive, right? To move it. Because every time you move it, that is increased risk. It has an increase in modifying your quality and whatnot. So I think what we'll see is less data movement, but more importance on, well, how then, how do you find it? How do you join it when you need to create an insight? I think master data is an area that is going to be tremendously interesting going forward. You know, what happens there? Do we bring master data together and then push it back out to all the disparate systems? I don't know. But I do think we're going to have a lot of work on our hands to figure out what the right balance is to enable people to get the data that they need when they need it without moving it all around because it's just unmanageable, I think. And again, my personal view, but I do think our jobs are going to get harder, not better. That much I know as well. (laughs) So how do you think about then sort of from a data governance standpoint, as you kind of see the future, right? And we all try to understand where this is going. What are some of the ideas or, or insights that maybe you can share from a data governance standpoint that, you know, we can start to kind of lay out, right? From a foundational standpoint as the pillars on which we build all this other stuff and be able to manage these challenges. I think precision is the word that comes to mind when I think about governance, security, privacy, all of this. We're going to be required to get very, very precise around what our data is, what it means, where it's stored, how do we protect it? And I I do see, you know, it used to be that if you had private information, you just like, you know, you kept it very secure, you like masked the entire thing, or you kept the access very limited. Mm -hmm really challenged with that mindset. And I still see that in some cases, especially in some industries. But how do you operate in a way that, and this is more like a question for all of our data professionals, like how do we operate in a way where we allow people to have as much data as possible while still protecting the things that we need to? And that is very contrary to what you would see, especially in like the medical space or the banking space, but bear with me here. The reason I feel like that question needs to be discussed broadly is because I personally believe that we can innovate best when we have access to the most information and the most data and we can map to it. So you can only know about information if you know where it is, right? So how do we create that data catalog that tells everybody where they can find the data that they need to be successful, to answer the business questions they have, to test their hypothesis? and to be successful. So in my opinion, that more openness requires us to be more laser precise on the things that we do need to protect. And there are, you mentioned a lot of compliance requirements, whether it's state by state or GDPR, you know, depending on where you are in the world, there's a lot of different flavors and stripes of that. But being able to make that, meet those expectations of privacy and compliance as precise as possible so that we're not overprotecting and still allowing the innovation to happen at scale. I think that's going to be the, the fine line that we have to figure out how to walk as a discipline. Right. Precision, I guess I call it also entitlements or permissioning and tracking and auditing. And I feel like that's all underneath or behind that precision that you're talking about, right? Okay, I'm giving you access, but I need to know 
when I turned you on or when you were turned off to get access to that data, what you saw, what you used, how you used it, and then where does it go from there? And you could get very complex over time. So how do you like not overdo it or over-design it? Because, you know, in some instances, you don't want to also pigeonhole yourself, right? To a degree where you're kind of like over-designing an entitlement system, so to speak, which then raises the bar almost not on just yourself, but on the marketplace as well. Right. I mean, I think it, it already requires deep precision between a chief data officer or something similar, a CISO or something similar, and a chief privacy officer or something similar. Like those three leadership type positions or teams already have a tight alignment, but I think we're going to see that stitched together even tighter in the future to make things come alive like this. I think it's going to be tricky. The other area that I think is really fascinating that I don't see companies making a big step forward in just yet, but I see the conversation starting is the concept of AI ethics and really data ethics, right? Just because you can gleam data together or you can figure things out with data, should you? And what is the line? What's the boundary? You know, how does a company decide what is appropriate for them and for their customers and their stakeholders at large for their employees? And just because you can do something doesn't always mean that you should, right? Right. So how do we manage that as a data industry or data flavor? How do we how do we approach that? And I think that's going to become really, really important, especially because once you've crossed the line, it's hard to dial it back. It's interesting. The lines, I mean. We see it in the news every day, right? Without mentioning any names, right? There's companies being mentioned all the time exactly related to that, right? And the lines are being defined as well. Like, what is that line? Where is that line? And what's appropriate and what's not appropriate? Like, there is no laws, right? There's no ethical laws, to your point, that are sort of written down. So, you know, I think it's just important to kind of stay on top of that. And I think it's not just necessarily what the law says, but it's also what your relationship with clients is like, and, you know, making sure that you respect that relationship. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because, you know, if we wait for compliance or the law to tell us what to do, we could be waiting a while. But I think we all have to take it upon ourselves to say, what are we willing to do? And what are we not willing to do? You know, and that might mean that we make trade-offs between revenue opportunities and what we feel is really protecting our data properly. I think every company has to decide what that looks like for themselves, but it's an interesting topic and one that I think also has some interest in the academia space. And so it could be interesting to see how that plays out between industry and academia as well. Yeah. I've been recently getting a lot of invitations to a lot of these AI ethics seminars and conferences. So it's definitely a topic that's pretty hot. That's for sure. So I think those two are really top of mind for me when it comes to like what the future holds. I think that is going to take the limelight between those two. Those are something that I'm just very interested in. And it's going to require, I think, a really specific set of talent. And we haven't talked about it yet, but I do think it's important to touch on the pipeline for talent. We're all after... So it does create an additional challenge for all of us. We're all going after the same talent. <laughs> yeah, same talent. And and again, the experiences are learned or are gained along the way. So that's also, I think, a little bit challenging in our space, right? To the point of like, how do you become a specialist in AI ethics, right? <laughs> like, right. how do you find somebody like that? Where do you find right. And it's like, you almost have to wait for somebody to gain that experience and then look for them, you know, somewhere else. So yeah, it's going to be a very interesting times for the future. 
So look, I mean, I think we're, we're sort of coming to an end of our conversation. I first and foremost want to thank you very much. This was a really, really good and informative conversation. I'm really glad I met you. <laughs> and we probably need another three hours or four hours of sessions subsequent <laughs> to this just to kind of follow up on some of these topics. And I would definitely love to stay in touch and continue this relationship and talk about these very important topics in our industry. Oh, likewise, Gary, it was wonderful to join you here today. And I just really appreciate the conversation. It was lovely and definitely interesting. There's uh, no shortage of topics to debate in this space. Uh, that's for sure. So I really appreciate you and your time and the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Find out more about how Dun & Bradstreet can help your business be better. Contact us at marketinguk at dnb.com. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts.